We're also working on a ton of other things on the back end that I can't share yet. But one of them I have shared before is the new Emblem Finance UI getting a lot more traction or it's getting built out and it is going to vastly improve the experience. And it's going to be mobile friendly for the first time. Oh my <laughs> God, on my phone? Can't wait. Emblem Vault on your phone, dude. First time in three years. We've <laughs> talked about it internally and I've, we've talked about it at Spaces, obviously, and all this sort of stuff. But this is how you know that most crypto is still taking place on computers, desktops, and laptops. And you know, it's insane because it's just not the way people interface with the internet anymore. I think the next wave, whatever the next wave may be, whatever bull runs incoming, it's going to have to be on the phone. It just has to be. Yep. And that's what we're optimizing for. Your vault management on emblem.finance will all go through desktop and for mobile. Very exciting to release that. Yo, we are back. We had to go through a little bit of technical difficulties, but we've made it out. How we you feel? tried having technical challenges today, man. Just brutal, dude. I don't know what went on, man. Bo Neither of my computers wanted to give me audio this morning, man. Dude, the computers woke up and chose violence today, man. It was brutal, dude. <laughs> brutal. Remember when we first when we first started the show? Um, I had a bad. Uh, what did, what are those bad called? Dongle, dude. A bad dongle. dongle messed us up for like three weeks. Ruined for like, like five weeks. shows. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible well today we're running up against looks like trevor and them are doing uh yeah dude of course we're, we're, we're the worst timer of shows bro that's this okay awesome. i don't you care know, I to talk to you man so it's all good you know there, there's ultimately there's a never-ending supply of twitter spaces that are happening our tuesday shows people like because we get to bring on different types of guests uh, Thursday, you know, we just get to shoot the shit, have some fun and, and talk about any topic. So if anyone wants to come up, Shizzy, if you want to come up or uh, Will, if you want to come up, uh, happy to discuss and we'll talk about all the different kind of topics that have been happening. You but know, it's funny because like dude, 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 you realize how small I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. And I guess we'll probably get into this a little bit later with the, the friend tech thing is that there. I mean, they say they have 100,000 users. I can't even imagine. Oh, they have a hundred thousand users because there are probably what how many people in crypto right now dude i mean yeah there are probably a hundred thousand people in crypto like maybe you know it just it seems like insane and, and we obviously in the nft space like all hundred of us that are left <laughs> you know it's just there aren't many of us you know it is actually starting to extend outside of uh, outside of crypto, there's a bunch of OnlyFan girls or start, chicks are starting to get on there. No way. Yeah, so a, a good account account to follow is actually Ansem, if you know who that is. Um, I think it goes by like Black Noise or something. He's like a, kind of, he's been around for a while. He covers it pretty well in terms of like the cultural aspect of friend tech and the different types of people who are getting into it. And what they're do what they're doing, like the, the big trading play that I've seen is you just buy up e-girls right as they sign up. And it goes <laughs> from like point, point 0.01 ETH to like point 0.8 ETH. And these <laughs> people, are make, people are making just absolute bags, dude. Wait, so is this it? Is this meaning that I'm going to get like a one-time payment to have access to their OnlyFans? Is that the, uh, is that the sales? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, there's different strategies to to friend tech. Uh, it started out originally as an alpha channel, which is always what happens in crypto, right? The, the whole paid group model has been going on for literally decades now at this point. When I first got into crypto in 2016, it was 
it was actually a telegram. It was, hey, hey, buy my, but it was a trading group at the time. It was, hey, join my trading group. I even considered doing a trading group. And then in 20, what is it, around NFTs, and all of a sudden, instead of trading group, it became the alpha groups, right? Remember those, right. the the NFT cabal, all the people, um, right? Farouk and all of them supposedly in this cabal grit chat, uh, pumping and dumping on people. Who knows if it was actually true or not? I'm, I'm sure parts of that is. Um, and now, now it's, Hey, join my friend tech group, which is just the token. It's like a token gated telegram. I got an invite code, man. If you want it, <laughs> I think really what's happening too there is that, uh, it's backed by paradigm and there's going to be an airdrop from the token. And yeah. I think if you look throughout the history, regardless of your, your opinion of paradigm, uh, throughout their history, um, everything that they back, dude, the tokens pump pretty hard. So, right. They backed blur. There was uh there's like a few other ones. Oh, Art Gobblers pumped for a little while and you know oh, they, that was them too. They have a history of just everything they back is um the tokens tend to pump a lot. So now it's they, they just need more it needs more creator tools. It's definitely being defied out already. People are taking the assets and wrapping them to ERC twenties and staking them and putting them in LP pools. There's not you can now borrow against your friend shares. <laughs> It's social fi, right? It's, it's kind of I ruin everything, bro. I <laughs> it, I, dude, I, I mean, I find it interesting. We talked about social tokens before, right? How um, the social token experiments have been going on since 2014, I guess, since Counterparty. Um, and it began with uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin, where they began tokenizing the podcast and kind of like what it, what it actually is and what's going on here. I know you did. Uh, you actually did a kind of. You put out a post recently, a thread about the history of social tokens. Yeah, very brief history. I just threw a couple in there that people might not have known about. T- tell me though, what what are what's your? Well, I, I think you know the main takeaway from that was the most successful were actually um, a platform where people could create and then had rewards go back to them based on those creation. And I think that's what tokenly eventually became was this platform where you could put in uh you know you could put out a blog post for example and the traction that that blog blog post got at the end of each week they would calculate you know the most popular kind of posts or or um you know uh podcasts or whatever on the platform and those would get you know the most of the tokens so kind of like i don't know Rary did, Rarible did with their Rary token. Like each week, whoever was the biggest users of the platform got the most kind of allocation of the token each week. And that's what Tokenly did. And, you know, of course it got gamified and people gamify everything. But in general, it led to, you know, relatively decent quality content being pushed out. And and people learned, wait, you couldn't completely game it. Because if you pushed out, you know, all this content one week, well, how are you going to get content out next week, right? It's like, you know, so creators, like, as far as what Adam has told me in the past, creators did, like, learn how to, you know, create on the platform and, you know, to maximize the rewards. But, you know, kind of all what we're going through on X right now, it's like, you got to figure out this new paradigm of what the algorithm is going to like, what people on the platform are going to like, and, um, you know, if you can figure that out, I think, you know, a platform can certainly be, be successful. 
whether or not I don't, I don't know if we've ever seen successful kind of individual social tokens happen not to say it can't happen but i don't think we've ever seen kind of one that's been done successfully for a long period of time um, well, but platforms certainly we have i mean tokenly adam sold tokenly like it was actually successful hey made a bag back that was back in 20 what do you sell it 2015 or 16 or something yeah, like that. 17 actually yeah coin desk i think yeah. you sold do you didn't sell to coin desk i think or was I that something remember. else? I can't remember. I think it might have eventually gone yeah. over to CoinDesk, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny how it started the on FriendTech, it started out as shares and now it's keys. They changed the name, right? Obviously, it's 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 mimics security like features. <laughs> Their lawyer was like, bro, what are you doing? Change the name. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's just like super obvious. I'm sh stunned that they originally called it shares. It's just a, a faux pas there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean now, now at this point, right? Is it the bonding curve that makes it security-like? Is it? I know that's generally a big no-no, right? Because then you get an expectation of profits. The the Ponzi systems that kind of come into play. I mean, certainly we saw. Gosh, I forget the the Twitter handle now, but they already promised that they're going to push their rewards, their Twitter rewards, to the holders each week. I mean, just be that. that I mean, it instantly becomes the security if they're doing that. And I'm all for people pushing the the envelope. And I think we should maybe, you know, a powerful player who got this into some court and was willing to fight it. Uh, but for the average person like you and me, um, I'd love to do it. It'd be fun. Like, it'd be a great experiment, right? Like, you know, Jake's guest list, you know, if your total revenue on, you know, on X got pushed to your holders, fantastic. But I'm pretty sure Jake doesn't want to, you know, be in court and fight that battle, right? <laughs> Well, there's, yeah. a, there's a there's there's definitely a lack of creator tools on the platform. Can't even post pictures in the chat yet. So what most users are resorting to is again the reward or shared rewards. I don't know if you know this, but if you buy or sell, there's a ten percent fee on each side, and five percent yeah. of that fee goes back to the person of the social the creator. Token. Yeah, yeah, the creator, the and person. so. So there's some people uh, like banks. Do you know who FaZe Banks is? Who's the, yeah. the gaming guy who did the sure. FaZe Clan? He created his friend tech account. And within, I think it was 24 hours, he made 50K in eighth just off of, you know, the royalties. And he he basically the, came out and said that he wants to try to get as many gaming people into this. You know, maybe it's just the money talking where, you know, you sign up for something and you get paid 50K instantly because people are just botting up your shares. Or you I mean, you wonder too, and, and not to say he did this or anybody did this, but certainly like people are buying their own shares, right? Mm -hmm. Because for a 5% VIG or a 5% payment, I can raise the price of my shares, create a FOMO ramp, and then people come in and do it, you know, on top and buy my stuff on top, right? So there's all sorts of manipulation that can happen here. I mean, I think... There's been enough put out there that if you're not, if you don't have your head on a swivel and you get wrecked here, you know, that's completely on you because the majority of these things are going to be completely worthless. Um, but do I think there's something potentially there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what it is though, is this the end product? I can't imagine that this is the one, but progressive web apps. would be wrong, bro. And a hundred thousand people, you know, I was like a hundred thousand and, I was like, oh, that's just wallets, but it's not wallets, right? Because you have to tie your Twitter to it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's legit 100,000 people or, you know, 50,000 people and 50,000 bots. I mean, I guess you could bot up, a, you know, do fake Twitter accounts. There's that's tons. I mean, if you look up Ansem, who's one of the, the top 
share or I guess top creators on the platform, there's at least 30 or 40 fake accounts of him. Yeah. Because what, what's happening is the the explorer feed is pretty bad. Not gonna lie. It's pretty yeah. bad. There's no way to really search things. Uh, and so what you people will do is they'll create a fake Ansem account. And so then when it pops up in the Explorer, cause it's just like a recent feed, it's chronological. Oh, wow. It's like, Oh my God, his shares are feet are free, cheap. You know, super cheap. And then you go buy it and you're like, Oh crap, this is, a, <laughs> this, is a, this is a fake account. So, so you're saying possibly out of that hundred K it's, it is maybe 20 K real accounts and 80 K fakes. It's I would possible. say it's probably, I would say it's definitely more than half real for sure. Okay. Um, but what what perspective though? I don't know. I mean, like I said, from what I was seeing, I've been following Ansem. He's been providing the best like cultural context to it. He's been seeing a lot of OnlyFans chicks and e girls have really been popping in. We saw uh, who's that? There was a oh, Grayson Allen who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, created an account and said he was super interested in it and wanted to share it to all his teammates. And then you have Phase Banks from gaming. So it is really actually bringing in new. Uh, new community members, or should I say future bag holders um, to crypto. And I think that's the whole point, right? Is in a bear market, the first app or the first D app to bring in or platform to bring in new users is going to be the one that has success because that's what we need. We need new new capital instead of the same money just being sloshed <laughs> around consistently between the blur farmers and and uh, <laughs> and all, all the, the NFT degens. Uh, GM Dogfather, you back? Hey, GM, GM. Are you back yeah, now? Not, you still no, at the beach I'm, chilling? I, I'm still at the beach chilling in the beach house because it was like a bit, the weather was not ideal in the afternoon. So we came back a bit earlier so I could tune in. Nice. So GM, GM. Uh, so it's pretty awesome to see what the uh, the friend tech people are doing. So basically, I, I started this this friends protocol basically at the same time. <laughs> and they're, they're still a bit ahead of... Perfect timing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the heck is going on on these friends stuff? How, how crazy <laughs> is that? Like, literally, I think you launched yours in like the day, the next day. I think it might have launched. Next yeah, so let me see. I pulled it up here on the video stream. August 7th is when you posted dot friends. And I think this is actually around this. Yeah, it's probably around the same exact time. Yeah, I mean, I, I deployed and also the devs deployed theirs a bit earlier than we were posting about that because we were like, you know, tweaking around with the platform. So I think we were even a bit earlier, uh, but just very much not not public. So it was I mean, really much the same time. So it, it's it's fucking awesome to see what what's going on there, like all the craziness. Uh, but I have the good feeling that I think we will be around on Bitcoin with, with our protocol once the friend tech stuff is gone. But, you know, that's <laughs> but you won't get as many eyeballs because there's not really any money to be made at it. Right. I mean, this is like this is like the catch 22 we have in the entire crypto industry. It's like, well, do you want something cool and useful or do you want something where you can potentially make money? And you know, yeah, the vast like, majority of the world wants to just make money, right? Dude, give us a dog fight. Give us an update. How's the dot friends protocol uh, been going so far? Actually, why don't you give a, a, a brief like intro of what it is too, uh, if you want to layer that yeah. in. So I think we scheduled that for next week, but just, you know, to a, a quick overview, a one minute, you know, version. So basically what we do is uh, just created uh, a protocol you know, just pimping up the BRC20 idea, just having a new address field where you can add your friends' addresses 
So you can basically form um, a network based on Bitcoin using ordinals. So this gives your friends some credibility. And we, we plan to do something like a reputational scroll based on that. That can be used for all kinds of things like DeFi on Bitcoin. Yesterday, I talked to someone on Twitter and she was uh, uh, giving me the idea like, okay, Web3 employers may look at the friend score as some reputation uh, type of uh, information if they employ new people. And I so think there are like can. hundreds of these types of, you know, use cases for, for that. So I, I'm pretty confident that this will be around in a, in a few years. And we are building very, very slowly at the moment, just, you know, uh, getting rid of the rough edges, you know, and, and on the back end. And, and guys, there's so many like things you need to take care of that, you know, all the corner cases, people will play around. So we are, we are at around 1,500 friends IDs. And again, you know, some people have different wallets, maybe, you know, divide that by two or three. Then we may have a few hundred people who are already in the private beta, including Jake, Torsio, you know, a, a few really cool people from the Bitcoin ordinal kind of like hardcore uh, community. And building on that, so hopefully in September we can get out uh, in public or maybe October, we are not in a hurry. Uh, and I think next week I have a, a bunch of spaces and uh, become more active and onboard more people. Uh, pretty excited, pretty excited, I have to say. It's so cool to be the data analyst for other people's projects, but, you know, doing your own project, that's like, that's like Champions League stuff, really priceless. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, once you once you launch your own project, you realize uh, first the when crowd tends to pop up, and oh, yeah. then you have to have the the educational piece. I've pulled up here on the video stream, kind of your tutorial, which is makes it really simple. Uh, the difference here between FriendTech is that dot friends on ordinals is actually an SBT non transferable. So that's I think that where you come in and say the reputational score um, is a, a better example. Uh, or parallel to to the protocol than the the speculation that exists within friend tech because you can't really speculate here. So and and if you go through you know kind of what Vitalik talks about with SBTs, um, he put that paper I think like a year or two ago. Yep. One of the main factors in that in that uh, I guess white paper is a, a credit system using SBTs. And uh, and social score. I like to call it a guest list, but I think we we'll all we all have a, a different type of uh, viewpoint for it. So congrats to that man. I uh, and we'll cover it. We're going to cover it next week as well. Uh, I do want to move over to a little bit of the ordinals. I don't know, Adam, if you saw it, I had posted um, this this chart the other day, right? Because ordinals are dead. I got interviewed uh, by uh, Decrypt uh, about ordinals being dead. And so I went and started looking through kind of uh, some of the history of what was going, some comparisons between ETH and NFT market. And so this is on August 20th. I looked at all of the ETH NFT markets, or at least the top five, Blur or six. Blur, OKX, Uniswap, OpenSea, LooksRare, and X2Y2. And man, the, <laughs> the unique active wallets is much worse than I actually thought it was. <laughs> Not why. X2Y2 on this day, uh, October or August 20th, had 94 active people in the last time. I mean, zero, dude, right? I mean, it's 94. like 94. You know, Looks Rare was doing better at 100% more. 
or 2x at 197 active people. <laughs> you know, uh, you go up the chart. Uniswap had uh, 1,600. Blur has 3,000. And OpenSea has 9,200. And then you have OKX has 2,400. And uh, I, OKX's stats, I tend to um, try and look over because it's not completely auditable. Um, they tend to inflate their numbers a little bit, um, especially in the normal space. But so you're saying there's about 15,000 active people on this day and, you know, ordinals are dead. And so I went over to check about how dead they actually were. And, you know, these numbers are, are pretty bad, but the protocol has only been up for eight months now at this point. And the top marketplace, Magic Eden, had 456 active users in 24 hours. Uh, OKX had 341. Unisat had 246 and Ordinal's wallet had 292. So it, it comes out to about 1,500 active users. And so within eight months, Ordinal's is about 10% uh, or has about 10% of the activity that um, the ETH NFT markets have, which I thought was actually pretty good comparative to like Bitcoin's already a hurdle to overcome. And ETH is very simple. And also there's just so much more functionality on these different types of uh, marketplaces. I thought it was actually not bad. I, that to me does not show signs of death. It, it's not dead. I mean, the, the thing is, it's like, we know Bitcoin's not going anywhere. We know NFTs aren't going anywhere. But again, it gets back to this thing where, I mean, I think 10,000 or 10K from, you know, punks and stuff like that is kind of, it's kind of right on. Because I, I think they're probably about 10K of us in the world. Right. And like, it's the same ones of us, like make no mistake. It's the same ones of us who are on, who are trading ordinals as it is, who are, who are, you know, trading ETH NFTs. And that, that amount you saw on OpenSea, which is whatever, 9,000 wallets. Well, chop that in half. It's probably like 4,500, like real wallets, people using a couple different wallets. I mean, it, I just think we all have to be realistic with what this is, which is we are in significant early days like the world does not is not here at all at all they're not here and it's the same 10k of us kind of going back and forth and bitching about our bags and this and that and uh, i think it's appropriate to take a longer term view and just like look at it as what it is we rode an incredible first wave that was had a massive amount of funding because people are crypto rich period full stop people are literally have hundreds, decamillions of dollars in ETH. And that liquidity traded NFTs and grew the ecosystem, which is great. We're hoping that'll happen on Bitcoin to some degree, but I don't think it will because I think the huge Bitcoin whales are just, they huddle Bitcoin. Um, so it's a different scenario. But to think that the infrastructure that, that ordinals you know, facilitate, which at the simple level is NFTs, but obviously it's much more than that. Um, that that facilitation is not going to lead to cool things being built on Bitcoin. Um, I just think I, it's, it's stunning that somebody would think that. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely not in that camp. I think ordinals are important and, uh, and cool and will be a part of the entire space going forward. Um, but we need things like funny enough, friend tech to get new people interested. And if it's the e-girls or, you know, I don't even know. Um, you know, I have no idea what's next, but we see that something where people say, oh, wait a minute, I'm a creator and I create, I don't know, not safe for work content. And maybe I can't 
make money through PayPal because they won't allow me to do it, but I can make money here. Like those use cases, you know, crypto's ready for those use cases. It's just a matter of, of finding the niche or the market for it. Adam, we know you watch NPCs on TikTok. Yeah, I try to create an NPC like, uh, you know, <laughs> branding. Mecca. I want, I'm all, all in on the NPCs, man. I'm a <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled up here, Bitcoin ordinals trading is down bad, but just how bad is it? And um, this was written yesterday by Pedro over um, at Decrypt, um, combating what was an article purported by DAP Radar, which said that the activity had fell, I think it was like 97% is what, their quote, what they had quoted at. And Leonidas and Tio and myself and some others had shown our perspective of why this information is wrong yep. and dap radar held on they said yeah fuck you guys this is right we we're we're holding down and then leo and uh trevor and even crypto slam uh, i forget what's the guy's name that runs crypto slam uh also came in with showing that yeah dap radar you guys are are way off yeah uh, and so they're saying that the drop is actually 67 and 69 percent and not this 97 or 97-92% figure uh, that they're posting, which is, you know, still down horrific, but not nearly as 97 is like, bro, everyone is gone. <laughs> everyone, it is over at that point, right? You're, you're likely not coming back. Oh, Dogfather was actually uh, interviewed in this as well. Uh, the most obvious error of the reporting was comparing full months to August 15 days, right? That's, sure. such a, <laughs> that's such a right a simple kind of idea. I was quoted, they quoted me wrong. It's supposed to say, so I'll say what it was supposed to say. They included BRC20 uh, transaction volume data in some areas, uh, but the volume is down, but there are tens of thousands of inscriptions per day, right? The, the activity of ordinals, the majority of it's actually inscribing your data. Like that's the whole point. Yep. The secondary market is not, I would say, you know, it's a reflection of activity, but it's not the entire perspective. People on, on ordinals usually, I mean, there are flippers, but that's not what most people on, on ordinals are doing. They're trying to create different types of products and they're trying to put some type of data in Bitcoin so that it can stay there forever. Yep. Um, so I guess, it seems like this is, this kind of debate is probably going to continually go on forever um you have so even if you, if you look too at the um the amount of uh transactions on bitcoin i think Tio brought broke it down it's like you know between 50 and and 90 percent of all transactions happening on bitcoin right now are actually uh ordinals right and so to think that ordinals is somehow dead is ridiculous you might as well say bitcoin's dead Right. Um, I mean, the transactions over half on a daily basis are still ordinals. So I don't I don't think there's any debate around that. I mean, it's just um, it's just so interesting to see the narratives that take place. And I, I hate to see because honestly, people filling the timeline trying to fight, you know, FUD or whatever. It's like, what are you trying to fight? Like, we're here. Like, what we're doing is is here. It's legitimate. Um I don't know what there's necessarily to fight. It's like people claiming ordinals are dead or NFTs are dead or crypto are dead. Um, they're not here for the right reasons anyway. So, you know, let them go. It's fine. I don't know. That's just my view. Leo's tweet from August 20th says, ordinals accounted for 
53.9% of the activity on Bitcoin this week. Ordinal's transactions is 1.9 million Bitcoin transactions, 3.6 million. Wow. The only people saying ordinals are dead are the ones who feel threatened by them. Yeah. Yep. This will be a debate that continually goes on and on for a long, long time. But in other news, I, I did see some gimmicks where people, where some users found a, a wallet that had acquired about $3 billion worth of Bitcoin and they were sending, they were sending, they were sending inscriptions to it. Yeah. That was awesome. saying that this whale is, is buying, <laughs> this whale's buying my pudgy, pudgy whales or something, whatever. And I was like, I was like, man, I swear I've seen this tactic before. And I was like, oh wait, that was just two years ago during the whole NFT bull run when people would send NFTs to like Gary Vee's wallet and be like, look, he's a moon cat holder. And I'm like, you fucking, you sent that to him. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that you called that. You were like the first one to call that out, man. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah see, I've seen this before, man. It's it's just it's so cringe, you know. I I get it. Sometimes it may work, right? Right. What's What's the the likelihood that this person with three billion looks in and they're like, oh, there's, there's inscriptions in here, and they get interested? You know, it is possible, and that would be the greatest R and R ever, right? If yeah. if that actually happened, you send this guy, you spent three dollars on inscription, then he ends up spending you know millions on inscriptions, or at least that's the hope. Everyone was speculating who who this person was, and for a while, uh, everyone was saying, oh, it's BlackRock, right? Because right. they're coming in. Turns out it was actually Robinhood. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they confirmed that, but there's this tweet from Crypto Rover. It says the secret wallet that bought three billion worth of Bitcoin last three months belongs to Robinhood while you panicked. They bought. <laughs> they were buying the bottom. Now, when they're buying like that, I'm assuming what they're buying is they're buying so customers are buying Bitcoin on the platform, correct? And then they're they're actually going out into the market and actually buying the the real Bitcoin. Right. So I'm assuming people on Robinhood retail retail traders like you and I are, you know, buying Bitcoin, but on the obviously on the platform, you're not actually buying Bitcoin. You're just, you know, be, yeah, logging you're buying database entry, right on Robinhood. But then Robinhood actually, for legal reasons, has to actually go out and buy the Bitcoin. And I'm assuming that's what's happening. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know this by now, that when you're buying on a centralized exchange, you're buying an IOU. It's not actually the right currency. Then Jesus. Are you serious, Jake? Is this real? Is yeah. there, do we have a technology that fixes this, Jake? <laughs> on, I, chain, <laughs> on chain summer. That's what the bald guy over at Coinbase is, is, has been preaching for the last month. And that's kind of the whole motto at, boy, at base, which is on chain summer, which is kind of funny because, um, you know, uh, L2s aren't completely on chain, but you know, we'll, we'll pretend I'll digress from there. And in other news, Cointelegraph came out and said that recursive inscriptions, the Bitcoin supercomputer and Bitcoin DeFi is coming soon because of, because of recursive inscriptions. Quite interesting that I'm seeing Bitcoin DeFi, the words populate more and more. And there's more teams who are Attempting to figure this out. So earlier this year, Ordinal's unique inscription on the smallest unit of Bitcoin called Satoshi emerged as a controversial new development. <laughs> Dismissed by some as spam and embraced by others as a way to bring BRC20 tokens and NFTs to Bitcoin. The technology stimulated a flurry of developments, and, and it actually did. And uh, so they come in here and talk about Ordinal's taking the most demand. You know, of course, Danny's always has a... Pretty good insight. Bitcoin ordinals is a big deal. I've been building on Bitcoin for over 10 years, and ordinals is the most significant development in recent history. 
Yep. Recursive inscriptions. I actually had on recently, I had uh, Sanj on my podcast, who's the creator of Ordinal Famojis. And they're creating a platform called uh, Generate Ord, which is supposed to be a simple version of using recursive inscriptions for people like you and me who have no idea how to code and we just need to drag and drop all this stuff. So I think that's going to be, you know, pretty, you know, it'll be very valuable for the community because, you know, when I watch Billy, you know, create a, what is it? A seven megabyte image through recursive inscription of 300. I tried to have him explain to me what he did. And I was like, I'm never going to figure this out. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. Like, and I think I've been on spaces talking, um, talking with those guys and, and um, talking with, with Danny and, and like, you know, he understands it and the ability to do it and all that sort of stuff. But you and I know it has to be one button easy for it really to take off. Right. And um, yeah, I don't know how far we are away from that, but it seems like we're, we're pretty far away from that right now. Um, So the idea is there, it's being built now, but you know, to get to that point where I, as an artist or as a, somebody wants to do a project or someone who just wants to do, whatever, a DeFi project um, or anything on, on ordinals using, ins, uh, using inscriptions and, and recursive inscriptions, like it just has to get, it has to get simple, right? Um, that, that's, that's the way it feels right now. It just has a lot of, lot, long way to go before we're there. Yes, but speaking of Bitcoin DeFi, actually uh, threw out a tweet yesterday that got you know, some, some interesting kind of responses I threw out is the next ordinals meta the tap protocol, which is kind of a BRC20 extension by the, the track team. And man, you look under these comments. <laughs> you look at these comments. What they say? Uh, so B- Bugsy, I don't know if he's still in here. Yeah, said uh, not at all. Yet another grift in the space. Businessman coming in saying it's an interesting experiment. Love the builders pushing the space forward. Archimedes, who's uh, or who's behind, or he's what the I guess the voice for uh, the boss network and, and Oshi says, no, but it's good enough for grifters to begin grifting. <laughs> I'm grifting. Right. And then you go in and you see just this, this conversation of saying the boss protocol is the biggest grift in the space. And people talking about how the, they've missed release dates. I think Shizzy was in here um, and said, yes, it's the next trend. And so, you know, so what is it exactly? You know, I've, I've also tried to dive into the documents to kind of figure out what it is. And the, so the tap protocol was built actually for a bitmap and it was a way from my understanding. And if there's anyone in here who has a better explanation of this, please come up here. Uh, Cause I will probably butcher this a little bit. Uh, it, w- it was originally built for bitmap and it was a way to have tokens inside of your bitmap plots, I believe, but now people are doing stuff outside of this as well. And so you can have a three, you can have three characters or five characters to 24 characters because BRC20 is four characters and it's an extension. So it's very similar to BRC20 and some people, but I, I don't know specifically what under the hood makes it different, but for what I'm, what I'm seeing there, there's some, some sort of off chain tracking to this as well, which is pissing some people off. And some people are claiming that Ordfi, which I believe is like the, the trendy token right now, um, is a scam for some reason. I don't. I don't completely know why. I saw that they also created a swap tool for these, and now there's like tons and tons. Wait, of, wait. You're saying a lot of words, bro. But 
I don't know what the hell this is. That's what, that's, what is it, bro? What is it? Give me a me, sentence. From my understanding, it's a uh, tracks version of uh, track protocol, right? Which is the the indexer, um, the indexing protocol by Ben D, by Benny from Rarity Garden. We know because he just absolutely hates Emblem Vault, so we get a shit post from him every once in a while. Um, yeah, so it says the track token from track is uh, the governance token of the tap protocol. And keep okay. in mind, BRC. So, so track the track token is for track, which is doing the indexing for Bitmap, and they're supposed to be doing indexing for whoever needs indexing. Um, so they created the track token, which has been probably one of the best performers actually in the BRC20 space, which unironically, Oshi is probably the other best performer, which those two are the ones that are butting heads, calling each other scams. Um, and it says, keep in mind that the BRC20 token taps not associated. Um, and people are building on it, man. I don't know. It's something to watch. Building? It's something to watch. I mean, I could pull up the docs here. I um, mean, we could kind of <laughs> go through it here in a second. I, I think I might be with Buds. Oh, was it Bugsy? <laughs> I haven't heard. Is actually Bugsy's in the audience, man. Bugsy, come up and explain this for me, man. Me know, <laughs> tell me what the heck this is, bro. I want to invite you, or I can't invite him. Uh, invite him up, Jake, so I can. Mm -hmm. I want to hear. I want to hear it from the uh, from Bugsy's mouth. What the heck this thing is, man? <laughs> I, still don't, I don't even under bitmap. I understand. Okay, it's a map uh of you know it's a metaverse each block it's a plot okay that kind of makes some sense but but what is this i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. So, so the basic idea i would just say it's brc 20s for for the track protocol and this is um from my understanding there is some more there's some additional functionality to it because they added some complexity because it's not just the simple like brc 20 where it's deployment uh, transfer. I believe they added some more kind of functions to the uh, to the JSON for that. Uh, so I think it's something to watch. You know, to be honest, whenever you know, there's a lot of uh, whenever. The, oh, here I forgot to even share this. So here, here's the tap protocol. You guys can, by the way, I pinned the top. You can watch if you're looking for the video. What we're what we're talking about is right on screen. So Jake's scrolling through it right. I now. will explain this briefly, and then we can move on kind of afterwards. <laughs> but it says tap is the extendable ordify enabling protocol that includes, but is not limited to the token to the tap token standard. Tap works entirely without the use of L2 chains and other overly complex mechanics, but utilizes tapping. A simple mechanism to to verify transactions within the protocol. The goal of TAP is not to replace or complete or compete with BRC20, but instead embraces it and allows for new features that will be consistently added to the protocol by the community-driven governance. Okay. And then, so got it. So it's an extension of BRC20s. Makes BRC20s bigger, broader, can do more with them. It. Which I actually support, right? I always said that the the extensions of BRC20 is better. I think competing with BRC20 as a standard is probably not going to work. Yeah, unless there's a unless there's a complete overhaul of the system. Uh, but an extension, you know, I support it. I support people building. Uh, I don't know specifically what what is going on under the hood there. Oh, but if there were a way we could tie it to OnlyFans, uh, <laughs> that would be. That would be a game changer, bro. <laughs> Send it to friend tech. There was a, there was a, an, somebody had built a token using the tap protocol called OrdFi, and I'll, I'll try to find it in a second. 
but I believe this is where like a lot of the the contention was coming from. Everyone was calling Ordify a scam. Yeah. Um, because here, let me see. I think this, I think this guy, uh, Layer Twenty Three. I guess he's like one of the whales in Ordinal Space. Man, it's impossible to keep up with all this stuff. Uh, so or oh, Ord. So there's Ordi, and then there's Ordify. So Ordi is the the top token for BRC Twenty. I guess they're trying to make Ordfi kind of competing with with uh, Ordi um, in some sense. Uh, so Ordfi here it launched today with Track, enabling peer-to-peer trading of Tap tokens. So it's just he, they created a swap tool, and I guess the token that's represented uh, for that is called Ordfi. Hey, a lot of exchanges have their own tokens. If that's the case, right? There's a lot of protocol. Uniswap has its own token, in some sense. Uh, so I, this is this token. This is we're, how we're, we're in all tr- tokens. What trade? All, we're in all BRC twenties able to be traded already. Like so, this is for this is on the Tap protocol. So you can see because Ordfi has five characters, right? The BRC twenty standard. There's only four characteristics you can have. So this is five. So they use Tap. There's some sort of uh, swap tool, and they added a token to it using this because they get additional functionality. Uh, what happens after that? I don't know, man. But it, it just reminds me of, uh, what is it, eight-minute abs? You know, that joke from that, that movie. It's like, I created three-minute abs. Why would anybody buy eight-minute abs when they could buy three-minute abs? Whatever that was, it's like, because, I mean, a joke was after the uh, BRC20s came out, like, I, I, I did like, oh, let's make the BRC seven seven twenty two or whatever. And like mine has only, you know, one digit, you know, it's like, well, what are we doing, man? It's like, yeah. yeah. So soul who's in the crowd actually right after BRC 20 had come out, he put out a, a standard. It said BRC 21. I was like, yep. here's your, here's your extension, which, you know, was pretty, pretty on point for what was going to happen um, in the coming months. So if you're in the BRC, if you're in ordinal space, it seems like the top protocol is where it is the attention of 1,500 people who are active. So, <laughs> uh, compete and, and shout over each other uh, every day. All right. Emblem yes, update. Well, everything is scam, but the one. <laughs> I'm going to give some emblem updates. A lot of people have been asking a lot of questions. Um, yes, yeah, so we're into week six of the migration. We originally had said that the migration was going to take three to four weeks. Turns out, Tech is fucking hard to build. <laughs> Excuse me. But I want to note, you know, this isn't just a simple process of taking assets and moving them into a different box. Yes, that's what we presented it as. But under the hood, there's a lot of things that are happening. Um, and so while we've been going through this migration process, we've built a, a, a bulk minting tool and a bulk move tool, right? So why are these two things important? A bulk minting tool, let's say you have, let's say you created a rare Pepe card that has a 500 supply and you still hold 80% of them and you want to go distribute them. Going and creating a vault individual, going and creating 100 individual vaults is going to take you literally an entire day. And I know that because I've spent an entire day uh, vaulting 84 in one day. It took me like six or seven hours. So I know how, how painful that is. So with a bulk minting tool, you basically say, hey, I want to create 100 vaults. And within one transaction, you could create 100 vaults. Yes, you will have to pay the gas fees and all the stuff and the vaulting fees associated with it. 
But after you you mint a hundred vaults, right? Then it'll also copy all of your all of the addresses, releases the expectation, so that you can then go put it into a multi send um, in free wallet, and you could basically do this all in maybe five or ten minutes. And you know that'll save a lot of time. It also will onboard tons more supply because I think that's the whole idea. With I use Rare Pepe because that's kind of like our their, our largest collection, and I actually think it's now the second largest collection by market cap. In, in all of the NFT space, now that apes are down below uh, or around 20 ETH, that would put them around like a $350 million market cap. I think Rare Pepe sits around $400 million market cap right now. So quite a large collection, right? And then we have fake rares and all these other ones. And so what's a what's a move tool or bulk move tool? So the, the whole idea of Emblem, right, is to deploy on as many chains as possible. I'll use a handful of layer twos in this example. So Emblem right now is deployed on Ethereum, BNB, and Polygon. Let's say, you know, in the next two months, we deploy on Base, Optimism, and Arbitrum. Let's say you want to, and then we deploy Rare Pepe, Curated Collection on all these. You can take your Rare Pepe and move it between all of these layer twos. So if you want your Rare Pepe on Base or on Polygon or BNB, you just click this Move tool, and it moves it there. And I think that'll be very important because... And it'll probably encourage a lot of trading on L2s because minting on Ethereum is to create a vault is the gas fee is quite expensive, right? It could be anywhere from 10 to $25, depending on the gas fees. So if you take that away and then you just start trading on L2s or minting on L2s, then it, you're basically just paying the vault fee of $20 or $10, depending on um, the discount that you have. So that those two things we had to build out along the way, which is very important. Um, we also moved um, our RPC provider from Infura to Alchemy. So we're now using Alchemy. Things are much faster um, in that way. And we've also hold on. And and we and we've also moved a uh, we moved some of our storage. Um, and what I mean by this is the way that the images are stored. Um, there wasn't a standardization i should say because you know the legacy contract was was one of shannon's first contracts and over the years there's been a lot of changes you know as the legacy collection wasn't actually intended for nfts it was actually intended for DeFi. uh so there's been a lot of kind of hacking on the back end um to kind of put it together and so now we've been able to kind of standardize the entire back end into everything um and so now, now we sit here today. I'm sure there's a few other things that Shannon's had to do on the back end as well. It just seems like there's always something new. Um, but we have successfully migrated a few test assets. Um, the first one that we used is Rinkaby, uh, which is the now retired test network of Ethereum. And, you know, it turns out actually there's, there's, I guess, a bunch of nouns that exist on Rinkaby that still sell for multiple ETH. I don't, I don't know why, but. That's one of the things. So turns out in a bunch of these vault legacy vaults, there's like a bunch of Rinkaby assets that, you know, have found their way outside of the now closed Rinkaby network, but are but can still be traded. Um, so we have successfully moved those. And I was told this morning that the mass migrations are actually going to begin today, tomorrow. Um, now that everything is completely done on the back end, at least that's what we hope and that's what we expect. And so fake rares. Rare Pepe's counterparty and Bitcoin stamps are going to be the first collections um, that will be moved. 
And once they are migrated, you know, they're immediately tradable because you have the vaults in your hands and you have the keys to them. So there's nothing we could do at that point in time. Um, we have to still set up the back. We still have to set up the pages when we migrate it though. So that's, uh, you could be trading on kind of like a blank, blank contract. So, you know, do that at, at, you know, your own risk, but they are safe and uh, we're going to be moving forward. Yeah. It's an exciting time. We're also working on a ton of other things on the back end that I can't share yet, but one of them I have shared before is the the new Emblem Finance UI um, is getting a lot more traction or it's getting built out and it is going to vastly improve um, the experience and it's going to be mobile friendly for the first time. Oh my <laughs> God, on my phone? Can't wait. Emblem Vault on your phone, dude. First time in three years. It's crazy that we've... We've got to uh, about 50,000 ETH traded completely on desktop. <laughs> That's it. it literally is amazing, man. And I mean, we've <laughs> talked about it internally and I've, we've talked about it at Spaces, obviously, and all this sort of stuff. But, but crypto being, I mean, this is what, how you know that most crypto is still taking place on, on computers, uh, on desktops and laptops. And, you know, it's insane because it's just not the way people interface with, with the internet anymore. Like they just don't. And so, yeah, I think the next wave, whatever the next wave may be, whatever bull runs incoming, uh, it's going to have to be on the phone. It just has to be. Yep. And that's what we're optimizing for. So, you, so you'll be able, your vault management on emblem.finance will all go through uh, desktop and for mobile. Um, very exciting to release that. That'll come probably a few weeks after the migrations are complete. And then we have a few other mega mystery projects um, that'll hopefully come within a few months after that. Uh, go ahead, Meefs. I see your hands up. Hey. hey. Um, so yeah, I, I had, uh, I guess, two questions. One, like, what is the difference between Frentech and then, um, let's say, BitCloud, for example, or uh, Friends with Benefits? And uh, secondly, what motivated or kind of drove your uh, decision making when it came to going uh, from Infura uh, to Alchemy. Sure. Well, I can uh, take the friends with benefits one. Go ahead. Um, so the difference, I mean, friends with benefits, uh, if y'all don't know, basically you're in like a, it's a community um, of kind of, you're joining a community just like you would with uh, board apes or whatever. So they basically have a gated discord. They do a bunch of uh, like in real life meetups and stuff. Uh, a lot of great people in that, that group. I'm actually in that group as well, though I don't really participate that much. But to get into that group, you have to buy the FWB token, like a certain number. I can't remember if it's 3,000 or whatever of this token. And that token trades on the free market. And like at one point during the bull run, it was like five grand to get into that, that community. Um, and you actually have to apply. And I, I'll, I'll tell a little story here. Like a guy gifted me the FWB tokens. I wasn't going to join it, but he's like, I want you to join. He gifted me the tokens and they have like an application. Like, why are you going to be good for our community? What are you going to bring? And I just, I literally just like filled it out in three seconds. I was like, just wrote answers, nothing interesting, whatever. <laughs> And they denied me. <laughs> they were like, uh, we're not interested in having you in the community. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I like, I didn't realize it was serious. And I actually then did like a selfie video and was like, hey, you know, I didn't realize this was like legit. And, you know, and then I gave the reason, then I really answered the questions about like why 
I thought community was important and being around like-minded people and so on and so forth. And they wrote me back and they said, okay, you can come in. Um, but it was, it was like, it's one of those things, but the token itself is literally, you're just basically by buying that token on the market, you're getting access to the, to the community. So I think it's different than, you know, friend tech in that way, right? You know, friend, friend tech is you're basically each person has their own token. And so in theory, you're getting access to that one person rather than a, a large community. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And BitCloud was pretty similar as well. Um, the difference with BitCloud, I think why it failed was that you couldn't unlock your shares and like the value that your account had accrued. And so people were getting front run by it. And there was like some, some fallout on the back end. I didn't participate in it too much, but it, it, it is like an early primitive to front tech. That's why it um, gets that comparison. And why we moved to Alchemy, uh, it's a better experience. They're a little bit faster. They're a little bit more nimble. Of course, Infura is the number one, or it is currently the number one RPC provider. Uh, but we are running into issues with them, even in kind of just simple communication to where we try to reach out to them, whether we hit our, you know, our API call limits or their systems had gone down. And Alchemy just provided a better opportunity for us. And Emblem's in a unique position to where, where we need uh, data from multiple blockchains, like lots of blockchains, and also non-EVM blockchains. And Alchemy said that they uh, would be interested and willing to um, provide different types of uh, information that we need from different types of blockchains. More specifically, we call them, or they called it, I didn't even know, long tail assets, which I think is just like a fancy word for proof of work chains. <laughs> Infura, Infura doesn't provide that, and uh, Alchemy had told us they would be willing to assist building that out, so that you know when Emblem wants to deploy on Ordinals or Litecoin or Dogecoin or any of these, um, we have you know uh, data and information that we can kind of pull from. So that was kind of the main decision behind it. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Um, and then from Emblem, I guess I don't think there's there's much else to that. Just once we get past the migration, you know, 35 collections, uh, I think it's going to be a very, very uh, big moment for all the counterparty community, but also any chain that want or community that wants to be multi-chain um, and have these kind of like super collections and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's going to be cool to see, you know, how these, these kind of long tail communities, we'll call them, uh, <laughs> you know, Doge party uh, assets, you know, not many people hold them, right? And and so they're always looking to kind of spread the word and get it out there. And I, I think it's this is a, a cool opportunity where, for example, you now have this community growing on base, right? Um, you know, we could launch on base, uh, bring all our assets, bring all these assets on base. And would it be cool for the counterparty community or the Doge party community to talk to that community on base and introduce them to those assets like heck yeah uh so it's it's exciting oh yeah i'm taking my jolly roger doge party asset and i'm moving it to base and then i'm gonna go borrow <laughs> it against me i'm gonna go sell it for some friend tech shares and create a swap right there's all kinds of different stuff you could do yep. and uh la last last point on on emblem 
We had somebody come into our Discord yesterday, <laughs> very frustrated. <laughs> it said, uh, guys, it's taking forever for the migration. You've, you guys have killed whatever little hype was left in the historical NFT collection. No one's been able to buy anything for two months now. Um, and so I said, uh, well, first, it's, we're on week six, so we're not that completely there for two months. <laughs> uh, and then I, I showed him a chart, which uh, I'll pull up here. And I said, you know, like we... We're not purposely holding this back. I wish this was done. You know, I would yeah, wish this was like done. I wish it, yeah. day we, we paused it. I mean, it was, come on, man. I, I wish I could have clicked a button and it would have been over it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that had happened. But, uh, you know, I said, if there was ever a time to do this, right now is exactly that time. And, you know, NFT statistics, uh, Sam, you put out this chart. It said, so far this month, there have been just 70 NFT trades above 50 ETH, down from 3,805 in March, literally just five months ago, there was, you know, what is that? Like 50 times more 50 ETH trades. Yep. So this is the lowest number for this metric since June, 2021, literally right. before the bull market even started. Yep. So, you know, going through this time and having maintenance, you want to do this during the low periods. You don't want to do this when there's, you know, 3,000 50 ETH trades happening. You want to do this when people are, you know, taking a break. It's and funny if we killed the HNFT market. How ridiculous! <laughs> I guess that, I guess that just shows you that uh, how vital, you know, um, or dependent it is on Emblem. You know, that's maybe a little bit of a centralization kind of dependency. Uh, but I, you know, I I rebuttaled and said this is also the reason why we left claiming open. If you want to go, you can remove your asset at any time and go trade on X Chain if you want. Yep. Up to you. Up to you. All right. Uh, so I did hear you, AKC. I, I do hear you. We do want this done. We are working on it, and uh, we will get this done very soon. And if you guys, and, and we know the HNFT market isn't dead because Mooncats are popping, dude. Mooncats are going insane. So as uh, if you don't know, my PFP is actually a Genesis Mooncat. I've had a lot of history with Mooncats, selling them at Sotheby's auction house in 2021. We had seven. Genesis sales in like a 24 hour period. Bonkers. Granted, one of those buyers, um, I think purchased five of them, uh, going crazy. But the floor for these things, I think, is now up to like 23, 24 ETH. And now the floor price is finally budged from that 0.2, and it's up to 0.27 ETH. <laughs> um, right. And that's, uh, that's good for Mooncats because it's been pegged at point two for literally like six months. <laughs> like no matter if it's bear or bull, uh, these cats have been staying there. And so this one, this number 84, I think is the, uh, this is the best purchase by far. So multipod, this is the person who, who's been buying all these. This was actually owned by Ponderware. So this was actually, I think Wander Wander's cat. And I actually do think this is the first actual Genesis Mooncat that was created. So we got it for 30 ETH. Uh, so really good pickup. For this person. So 24 ETH is the Genesis. And so Genesis Mooncats are consistently trading at about 100 times the floor price uh, for Mooncats. So hopefully it just continually goes up from here. Very, very exciting times, um, to say the least. As we know, and I've pointed this out many times, whenever there is a historical NFC bull run, Mooncats are always, Mooncats and Kiro cards are generally the first two to really start popping off. And then it generally trickles down to everything else. Love the cats, baby. <laughs> on on the counter side of that, though, 
you know, chain left and the, this is a never ending narrative that I don't even partake participate in this anymore. Cause it's just, it's beating a dead horse. It comes down to, it comes down to, I guess your perspective of what on chain art is, but I guess if there's anyone that's qualified to say it, I think chain left is as somebody who's a big moon cow holder, but also is building in the on chain kind of idea. And so what, what the, uh, the contention is, is that Mooncats are the first on-chain generative art project. And why, where is the contention here is like, what does on-chain mean? There's yeah. no doubt that it's generative art. You know, CryptoPunks claim to be generative art as well, but there is no, there was no way to ever prove that there was an algorithm used, right? So they used off-chain generative art, um, which I, I don't think they're lying, but you never know, really. They did lie about the history of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they so did never, lie for three years, so lied, you know. So you never really know. So the the contention is true. Cats are the first on chain generative art, uh, and Mooncats coming only two months after after CryptoPunks. Um, the claim is that autoglyphs are the first on chain generative art, and what what's I guess what the whole point is with on-chain art is you're supposed to be able to to reconstruct the image using all of the data that is uh, minted on the blockchain itself. Uh, it turns out autoglyphs actually isn't completely on-chain. It's like 95% on-chain. Uh, but what Mooncats did is I believe they put a, they put a hash of the algo on-chain, but the, the actual algo though was stored, I think, on IPFS or somewhere else. So it's like you can audit the algo that they used, but the algorithm wasn't wasn't stored on chain; it was stored somewhere else. But a hash is basically like a pointer to saying, "Hey, this is the algo that we used." Um, so it's like it was definitely more on chain than what CryptoPunks were, but it's not on chain to today's standards. And then in January 14, twenty twenty two, Ponderware actually put them completely on chain, which, if I remember correctly, cost seven ETH to do this and they did it through five different contracts so you can completely re reconstruct Mooncats through oh and they even tagged me in this as well where I dove into I forgot I even did a video on that uh funny how many I have like 25 Mooncat videos <laughs> on my YouTube channel I forget that I even did that <laughs> at times <laughs> uh it's like four months of your life bro come on <laughs> dude, dude the, that was a never ending that was kind of my beginnings right started as the Mooncat moderator now we're here if you ever want to be an intern in the space and start, be a be a community moderator or manager for a project, and you'll really learn how the how the internal workings of these projects work. Uh, but Adam, what do, what do you think? I know you, we've been in the space for the historical space since since literally its inception, and Mooncats are always considered the first on-chain generative art. And this debate will continue on, I think, probably forever. Yeah. What's your take on it? It's unsolvable because it's not. There is no definitive definition of what is on chain or or what is on chain or i mean it's just it's a non non-ending question and we'll debate this literally for the next 50 decades right it's like this is not it's not answerable impossible to answer so um that's it you know it doesn't really matter at the end of the day my moon cats hold their place um you know it just had such the rediscovery of Mooncats. We've talked about this a bunch. The rediscovery itself is the thing that makes Mooncats so special. Like, there, and so many people have that emotional connection with that. That it's basically unbreakable at this point. You know, 
do I ever think they'll really move off of that point too? Uh, probably not, you know, and I hold a bunch of moon cats, like a bunch. I probably have like 10 <laughs> moon cats. So, you know, do I want them to go to the moon? Of course, you know, but they have a huge supply, you know, it is what it is, man. But, but were those guys at Ponderware just like super early and innovative? Like it's incredible, man. Those guys are incredible. Um, they, they just aren't very good marketers. And it's just one of those things. It's like, you realize that Matt and John are fantastic marketers and we can call it lying with what they did with CryptoPunks for literally years saying they were the first NFT, like literally years. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality was, is that they won that game and they convinced enough people who needed to be convinced that CryptoPunks were that. And here we are, right? CryptoPunks are everything in the NFT space, right? They convinced people that autoglyphs were this first of something interesting. And was it? Kind of was. Um, but at the end of the day, they won because they were the better marketers. Uh, and it's hard to take because we want the truth. And what is the truth? But if I've learned anything in the historical <laughs> NFT space, is that the truth is not always easy to define and uh and they're gray areas all over the place right and you know good marketing combined with being early which certainly you know um you know lava labs was um you know they're the big winners and moon cats kind of aren't um yep. but in the historic nft communities we love our moon cats and we have a long, long uh, time horizon historical space, right? I mean, right. It, if Mooncats just increase 100% in price every year, I think that is very satisfactory to to the collectors who are just tending to hold these things. Like Mr. Moo, which I, which I own, I paid probably way too much money for. Um, my thesis is that Mooncats are going to be this iconic collection 10 years from now. And unless somebody wants to pay me, you know, 1,000 ETH for it right now, there's there's no way... In hell i'm selling that it's just unless you know i'm going broke or something like that which well i mean uh, if, you, if you think about just like the number of people who are psyched about mooncats um it's got a, a big wave behind it right there there are literally you know I, I i don't know anybody in the hnft space who doesn't own some mooncats right so it's like there's this whole body of people who are you know behind mooncats and we'll talk about it obviously i mean mooncats it's like it was the talk of conversation in the HM NFT space on Twitter this week, right? And I think that that small but powerful kind of group of people will, you know, bring Mooncats into a wider kind of understanding, you know, during the next bull run and stuff. So Mooncats are really well positioned for yeah. sure. Yeah. I love to see people like Daniel Bernstein, who, you know, we've had some differing opinions come out and love Mooncats for the naming features, which is something that I had been discussing since the beginning. So. Vindication. Vindication. <laughs> Meefs, what's on your mind? Yo, just um, th there's so many different things that you can find that have been put on chain over the years, you know, before, like, let's say it was a thing or whatever. Um, I guess just like in, in my, you know, investigation or whatever, I found a Telegram bot that has been tracking all of the transaction um post to ethereum mainnet so there's been all sorts of stuff like people have put pictures and 
little notes and all sorts of things. Um, and then when um, each description is called on, you know, obviously the bot kind of just blew up and went out of control. But you can like go back historically on this thing and just see all sorts of stuff that, you know, people have put on there, you know, on purpose. Um, and even on the Bitcoin side, um, there's a security researcher who had passed away, I believe, in 2019 or 2018. Um, his name is Dan Kaminsky. But he went and basically back in, I think, 2011, it took a Bitcoin and then um, put a ASCII art image of a fellow researcher, you know, who had passed away as well, you know, or, you know, back then at that time. And so it was just an interesting sort of commemorative um, thing to do. But nonetheless, it's like it would be amazing to own those sort of things that are like literally parts of history that are, you know, undeniable or immutable as it were. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, the, that one you're talking about isn't, isn't ownable. Um, but, but yeah, know what you're talking about and, and totally, um, obviously that early ethscription one of the cat, um, sitting mm -hmm. on a log or whatever, <laughs> the world will be, what's it? Eth scribe, not eth scribed or something like that. Yeah. It's uh, there's, there's something there. Yeah. But, but you know, that would certainly be a cool one to own. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, if you're first and there aren't people who are interested enough and willing to talk about it enough to make it interesting, um, from a collectability standpoint, funny enough, that thing can hold almost no value or no value. Um, the ability to, to talk about it and get people excited about it and get people to buy into it. Uh, we've seen it. It's so important. And, and the guys that for crypto punks and autoglyphs like Matt and John, they were like amazing at it. And, you know, and they've built what they built based on that ability to convince people that what they were doing was cool. And, uh, and here we are, you know, so I love finding those old things, but if there aren't enough people who are psyched about it and find it also interesting, um, Collectors kind of just aren't, they don't care. It's funny how humans work. Uh, side note about eScriptions, uh, one of my buddies, our, our, our buddy Shardul actually just created a eScription aggregator, but also for polyscriptions and for uh, BND scriptions as well. So that's called evm.inc, I-N-K. And you can see right here, see BNB, Polygon, BNB. Uh, so the, the eScription wave of storing uh, information it's the call data set of a proof of stake chain has some traction um granted there's not much volume here but if that's something that interests you i highly recommend checking that out cool. evm.inc and Thank you. yeah and for our for final conversation the royalty discussion is back again i don't think it's ever going to go away um we saw recently which i found quite interesting and at Adam, you and I had debated this uh, a few times. First was that super rare is down. Bad. <laughs> Horrific. Dude, I was crazy to see this. On August 22nd, super rare had done 0.83 ETH in sales for, for, for a 24-hour period. 
It's one of the first. say uh, one of the first times I've ever seen less than one ETH of total sales in a day on a platform. That was from NFT statistics. What do you think is causing this, man? Do you think it's because of their ten percent royalty fee that no one wants? Is Super Rare just out of touch with with where the reality of NFT art is? What what happened there? Well, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's the royalty. I think it's just the market, man. It's just we are in the, the midst of of a market that is what it is. Like, look, if there are no buyers, there are no buyers. And it doesn't matter, you know, at this point, it doesn't matter what they do. Uh, they could drop their royalties to zero. What what would that, what difference would that make for them? Probably almost nothing. Um, simply because there aren't buyers and there are tons of sellers, but there are no buyers. And that's what you get when you have a very, very small group of people in this, in our space, and the money's all dried up and people are terrified. We're in the midst of this massive bear market. Everybody's hoarding their ETH. Nobody's buying NFTs right now. So it is what it is, man. And I mean, look, I think it was maybe Beanie put it out. He's like, true bottom's going to be when OpenSea closes its doors. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's a real possibility. It's a real possibility. And I mean, what is, think about it. What's OpenSea's uh, revenue generation source right now? Like they don't have one. Like their marketplace fee. I mean, but but look at the look at I, I I mean I would be interested to know what their runway is when the volume has dried up like horrifically, right? And I mean, I just I it's it is what it is. Like we knew the bear was coming, and here we are. And you know where it goes from here. We'll have to see. I mean, I, you and I both believe in in royalties to some degree. Uh, we believe marketplace fees probably are going to zero or near zero. Uh, how that model plays out, Lord, who knows, man? I, I, yeah, you've got you've got Yuga Labs up right now that that it looks like they may you know they're going to be out of OpenSea uh, come whenever it is February when when OpenSea takes away creator royalties completely. Uh, so what does Yuga do? Does Yuga start up its own marketplace? Do they partner with a marketplace? Uh, who knows, man? It's going to be, you know, it seems like we're fighting for almost nothing at this point. There's these battles taking place for very little. And which to me tells screams opportunity. Like there, there's something here where a new leader can emerge. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So will we see Yuga Marketplace? Probably. But then it becomes this debate that, right, this is the circular debate that never ends is, okay, if you add, if you enforce royalties, um, unless they're adding like the new contract, the ERC-721C, which uh, uh, Gabe created, which doesn't really have that much use. You have to go to this closed garden situation. Then, if it's a closed garden, right? Then it's not like a barrier asset. It's not decentralized. Now you're just basically recreating Web two, right? In essence, right? It's the same thing all over again. Um, so, how they will construct that? I think it just comes down to incentives. Uh, if you're going to do a, t if it's going to be a tipping model, it ha unfortunately, but you know, this is the kind of the state. It's on the creator to offer incentives. If you tip, right, then maybe you get airdrops or you're eligible for airdrops or, or yep. whatever consider, considering uh, or whatever is in consideration for the next steps of the project. That's where it's going. 
I think you are right. Right. Royalties are going to zero. I don't, I, I just, I have a hard time finding any sort of improvement in that space. Maybe the art NFT community somehow figures out a way to segment themselves, but still keep some sort of decentralization. But it, right. This is kind of the situation of super rare. Super rare is a closed garden. Every, all, everything minted is on one contract. Yes. You could go trade your super rare stuff on other marketplaces, but it's all on one contract. It's not owned by the creators. It's owned by super rare itself. And they have less than one ETH in trading volume, right? Whether, <laughs> whether that's a direct correlation, right? Or confluence to be determined, but what's next then, right? Royalties go to zero. So now you have a marketplace fee of two and a half percent on, on open You have a 0% marketplace fee, but tokenomics on, on blur and looks rare has, I think a 2% stake revenue share. So what, what happens then, right? So these marketplaces then have to now compete on the marketplace fee level, which then is also probably going to go to near zero as well, right? Race to the bottom. Yeah. I think tokenomics is really kind of what's going to help some of these platforms really um, set themselves up. Maybe OpenSea finally drops the token because their backs are against the wall. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe that's what happens. Maybe they kiss their IPO goodbye and, uh, and drop a token and, and really figure it out. But on the, uh, can you imagine if they had dropped a token in you know September of twenty one? Good lord! I mean, they could have they could have just they could have crushed their competition, like literally just taken the whole market if they wanted. To. They could probably vindicate themselves with some sort of airdrop um, token, and people would probably come back to it. That's probably their last move. I know they do want to go public, and public companies you're not supposed to have a token, or at least that's the regulatory yeah. climate. So they right, they, they got to feel like there's no way that's going to happen now. I mean, just that is zero right I, I don't know from a perspective it just seems like they've dropped the ball so many times they had such a tremendous lead um it's really kind of sad because i know that guys are good guys who are running that company but uh i don't know if they got kind of hoodwinked by the investors or pressured you know how that goes with vcs mm -hmm. and stuff um to just take take kind of this safe middle road and uh and not be leaders but boy it sure feels like they fumbled their bags um it's funny i was thinking of rarible i think i sent you that link of the mm -hmm. you know rarible who's going to be honoring royalties um but it's interesting like rarible you know they had the rary token i don't know if you if you were remember that in early 2020 is when they dropped it. yeah dropped it and, and basically in you know may june of 21 you know, friends of mine were like, bro, you got to get on this. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And I had friends who were literally just trading NFTs back and forth to themselves to earn this rarity token, you know? And I knew guys who were making three, four, five thousand $5,000 a week just trading their NFTs back and forth to themselves. And, and Robin, Robin Max, yeah, it was like, it was the ultimate like wash trading scam, you know? And it's like, I mean, not what scam. I don't even know if scam's the right word, but just... Like, I mean, it's just like that model was then transferred to blur and, you know, and here we are all this time later. And it just, it feels like open sea. If they had said, look, we're going to, we're going to expose this wash trading. We're going to do it legit. And we're going to have a token. And this is going to be like an airdrop token. It just feels like they could have just crushed everybody um, with kind of transparency and being a real marketplace and instead it's like they've they've allowed blur to lead them down this path of like now they're nothing 
you know, and it's kind of sad. I'm bummed about it, honestly. Yeah, I okay, here. So I've pulled this up for those that can't see. So Rarible, they came out. They said, we support royalties. We always have. We always will. By September 30th, so a little over a month from now, Rarible.com will no longer aggregate orders from OpenSea LooksRare or X2Y2. We stand in solidarity with creators and artists. That's why we will no longer support marketplaces that neglect royalties. Rarible is moving to royalties only. Um, I don't know if they look and saw the volume on Super Rare, but <laughs> not looking good and not looking good. But I mean, if they can, this though, this kind of move, it's a it's a social signal. So they're gonna have to really, you know, get the creators behind them to support this. You're really going to exile all the traders uh, away, and unless there's some sort of incentive that they plan on coming out with. Um, but right, well, you just gonna. Go ahead. I think, Jake, I think I agree with your point. I think they're going to have to come up with some sort of primary mechanism or, you know, some sort of proprietary liquidity, right? Mechanisms, which is, you know, curated drops, whatever the hell it is. Um, they're going to have to come up with it because I think that the market, especially right now, is not large enough to support, unfortunately, I think what they're going to try and target. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that's the, honestly, it's it's really unfortunate, I think, for a number of reasons, like for these companies that are now forced into this position to make this decision. Uh, and then, of course, second is is for creators, right? Of like, you know, this is maybe some somewhat of why they signed up to do art in Web3 or in crypto in the first place is like, hey, I can earn some royalties here. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last, but at least, you know, over the next couple of years, maybe. Um, and I think that that's been sort of stripped on, unfortunately, many chains. And, and it's, I think it was a little bit more unfortunate too, at least on the Bitcoin side, um, that we've started from zero royalties. I know that there's what, Gamma that offers mm -hmm. royalties, but, you know, I know the volumes over there are, are, are not necessarily the highest. I think that they have a great platform though. Um I don't know. It's really unfortunate. I think, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, NFT started on, or I guess the the collect the crypto collectible started on Counterparty in 2014 with no royalties. The Pepe community embraced no royalties, and Bitcoin has always embraced you know decentralization and freedom. So now that Ordinals has moved. And uh, there are no royalty fees, but there are marketplace fees, right? That exist. So maybe that becomes race to the bottom. Yeah, Gamma's had some trouble kind of differentiating themselves from uh, from the rest of the other marketplaces where Unisat dominates BRC20s. You have Magic Eden coming in now and dominating kind of the PFP and kind of NFT-like stuff. It looks like Ordinal's wallet's trying to move into gaming, which is still quite immature from the Ordinal perspective. And Gamma might be just taking, you know, this this rareable uh, route. I mean, they really, the chart that we showed earlier, they had nine active buyers on October twenty, on uh, August twentieth. So they need to do something to, you know, differentiate themselves from it. They they made the move of, you know, going ordinal focused when they were the stacks NFT marketplace. You know, maybe that backfired a little bit, but you know, artists do deserve royalties. I would say more so. <laughs> There might even need to be some sort of, you know, royalty standardization model where they're saying, hey, artists, you can get 5%. No matter what artist it is, you're getting 5% royalties. 
if you run a PFP project or if you're running something that has a large amount of supply, you know, your royalties one or 2% and that's kind of moving forward. But that takes a lot of, you know, social agreements and alliances for that to really happen, uh, which we've shown. And even OpenSea said the reason they're why they're dropping their operator filter uh, is because the other marketplaces haven't participated in what they had set out. And even more so, Blur went and built on Seaport that circumvented OpenSea's operation filter. So they're really using OpenSea's own product to basically bypass the royalty filter itself. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a race to zero. And I think my personal opinion is I think the tokenomics of these marketplaces is what's going to separate themselves. There's, there's really no other option. Tokenomics kind of fell out. It kind of fell out of its falling, right? When the market's going up, you don't want to have to play. You just want it very simple. Um, but now you got to add some sort of incentives. And you think about it back in 2020, Rarible launched was the first NFT marketplace to launch a token associated with an NFT marketplace. And they had a lot of success initially. I mean, granted, there was wash trading and stuff, but it had success, right? So I think we're going to have to see some unique innovations. Looks rare. I was on their platform the other day. Their token had been up. I'm still bag holding all the way down to zero from that. I, I, yeah, I, I put, I staked mine. I don't know the reward I got that first yeah. day or whatever. And I was like, look, what I'm going to, I'm just going to stake it for a decade. See what happens. So are you telling me my bag is at zero now? <laughs> uh, it's up. I mean, it's up like compared to ETH, it's up like 20%. And I went to look and see what the, the move was. And they're basically turning Luxray into a casino. They're kind of like, I don't know if you follow like Rollbit and uh, stake.com. It looks like they're trying to move to that kind of model. It's what we talked about. It's literally, it's one of it's just a straight gamble. It's just, hey, throw your ETH into a pot and we're going to pick somebody to win okay. this. Nice. A, ra a raffle. And then there's another one that they have prizes where it's like a, a board ape and like a bunch of NFTs and uh, some sort of like random generative mint. So it looks like they're kind of going that direction. And I mean, based off the token price, it looks like a lot of people are interested in that. So you're going to start seeing this differentiation and segmentation between these marketplaces to figure out what's the right model. But as we know, gambling is always <laughs> the utility. Always. In this it's it, always, it's, and whenever you're in doubt, just pivot to gambling. Pivot to gambling. It's, you know, it's interesting because there is this like, and we obviously, the space has not figured this out, right? Because NFTs are a bearer asset. I own it. I should be able to do whatever I want with it, right? That includes selling it. Why should I have to pay a fee to sell this if I want to? So, you know, we're, we're, we're figuring this stuff out. I mean, obviously there's no concise way that, that, you know, as a, as a, as a group of people, we've said, yes, this is the way. And we've had what five different significant experiments in the last two years. And uh, I mean, are any of them not broken? I think all of them are broken, right? Maybe there is no way, maybe marketplaces can't really exist, you know? Or they can, but they have to be completely open and free, and it's just a discovery mechanism. The community one, I don't know, man. I, we'll I don't go think back. We'll go back. I don't know if everyone remembers. If you go to my website, I actually wrote the history of NFT marketplaces. I did. I posted that. I think around like March this year. Didn't that back up top? Yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, if you look through the beginning of NFT marketplaces, uh, it started out with Ascribe, which was just like a an attempt to create NFTs to authenticate on Bitcoin. And then it became community-owned marketplaces. Spells of Genesis had one, Rare Pepe had Rare Pepe Wallet. 
And then, right, then it was like the CryptoPunks marketplace, Mooncats, and, and Dada. And then OpenSea came in in 2017 and, and said, hey, I'm just going to bundle all these up together and try to help with the discovery process, which worked, right? They were valued at $12 billion at the, at the peak of the bull market. Uh, but what ultimately happens in tech, whenever there's a disruptor, two things happen. They're either bundling a bunch of things together or they're unbundling a product because the communities become too large for this like Walmart-like entity to support all of the, the nuances and requests for these certain communities. And it feels like the unbundling is happening again. Where, but now you have literally, what, 10 years of NFT technology or innovation to where now these NFT community-owned marketplaces aren't just going to be this simple buy and sell. They're going to add all of their native features and unique aspects to it to encourage people. But again, it's going to have to come down to incentives. You pay the marketplace fee, you get whatever access and rewards and things like that, because that's what PFPs are right now. They're just social clubs and, and access and memberships more. So you're thinking we, we go back to a model, you know, CryptoPunk style model where I'm buying it on the CryptoPunks marketplace. And therefore, if I buy it there, I get extra rewards because I made it maybe have paid, although CryptoPunks had no fee, right? But maybe they do add a small fee and that small fee gets you into the, the secret room in the back or, you know. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. I put, I put this, I put this tweet out and I was like, traders are going to trade, collectors are going to collect, you know, creators are going to create. And I think you have to respect that. It, there's, you're not going to pull a trader out of his perspective. If this person is here to purely make profit, there's no convincing them otherwise. You're not going to get them to pay royalties. And so what you should be doing is you should be focusing on your community that wants to, right? What is every, the community is diverse. If you have collectors who want to collect and participate in the project because they like you, they like the art, whatever, focus on that group of people and figure out how to incentivize them yep. and let the traders go trade let them be the liquidity people that figure out the valuations and and let the other people kind of reap the rewards uh go ahead big yeah to me i guess this this conversation as well almost feels like we're talking about you know walmart versus shopify right or like amazon versus shopify right like you can have your own shopify store drive sales of course to to that store and then try and provide unique access or benefits to the people that of course bought on your store because you can control the outcome you can control what they're seeing instead of you know on walmart on on amazon you got 100 different sort of products you know 100 different pfps that are running around um and so you can provide unique benefits to the people that just purchased you know an nft maybe they get 10% off the next one, they, they sort of purchase something like that. I, I don't know what, of course, you guys is going to do. I know that they, they're just sort of teasing doing something. But I, I do think that this is uh, an interesting route. I know I have a, a couple friends that have been trying to build, you know, incentivized um, AMMs for specific collections, right, to push these different collections into their own AMM that you know, uniquely incentivizes not only not only the trading, but also uh, the collection because of the fees they could potentially earn um, from, you know, providing or sort of being a part of the pools. I, I don't know. I think that there's a number of different ways that this is probably going to go. And I think that over these next couple of years, you're going to see these larger projects test out marketplaces. But I don't think that this is like the first time, right? I think that like, 
they're, you know, you, you look at like Solana and there was a couple of projects that have done their own um, and probably even on ETH that I don't know of. And they weren't really too successful, right? Like they, they didn't generate that much in fees. Uh, it didn't necessarily make any sense to, to have their own marketplace. Like it probably costed them more than it, than it sort of made. Um, and ultimately people just wanted to stay on, on the sort of centralized place where the majority of liquidity and eyeballs were. So I, I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, what ultimately happens here. Um, and how maybe they, you know, Yuga does it differently. And I'm sure if Yuga or someone else comes up with a model, everyone else is just going to copy that. Um, I'm sure there'll be some sort of like Shopify kit for you to do that with your own collection and, and figure out incentives there. And then it's going to be a whole other, another race. And then maybe it's like not even a race at that point of like who has the best PFP. It's like who's offering the best incentives for your PFP, even if it looks horrible. I, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting race. Yeah, actually, so Rarible actually has something similar where you can build your own market community marketplace through Rarible. So that's probably why they're doubling down on the, on the royalties. Um, they have one for like MFers and V1 Punks and a bunch of other people. So, you know, maybe you could does that or you create your own individual store, like you said. Maybe every board ape person gets to spin up their own marketplace and then they can basically be the peddlers of um the nfts themselves individual marketplace hosted right uh kind of like a an offer up page but for all your board apes and they could call it i don't know fucking board, <laughs> board, board monkeys yard sale or something <laughs> they, could sell, they could sell their own nfts through their individual marketplace who really knows it's going to be exciting uh we're going to end it here though we've been going at it for a little while very fun conversation. I did hit up Alex, actually, who's the co-founder of Variable, to try to come on the show for Tuesday. He hasn't responded yet, but would love to get him on the show. Totally. Um, we could talk about it. I've had Variable peeps on once, but on Spaces would be good. So hopefully he'll reply, or Alex or Variable people, if you're listening to this. Yeah, man. Hit me up, hit me up fan. Uh, Adam, any closing words? We don't know anything. All you got to keep doing is trying, man. Like literally, that's what it is, and that's uh, it. Really, is the amazing thing about the, the crypto and, and NFT space is that all these these uh, experiments can take place in this free market, and they win for a while, and then they get destroyed, and then something new comes along, and then that gets destroyed, and um, and we learn and get better all the time, and it's scary and terrifying because stuff is getting destroyed all over the place, but at the end of the day. We build better stuff because we're building all this stuff. Absolutely. All right. Big God, Dog Father, everyone who's down there, Soul, Ethord, everybody, HNFT, Pepe. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you Tuesday, 1130 a.m. Eastern time. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.